Hey, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ&A. If you like our show, please subscribe and leave a comment on iTunes. Especially leaving a comment on iTunes is one of the biggest ways you can help our show, so big thanks to everyone who's done that. Today, Zeke Smith is on the show. Zeke was famously outed as being transgender on Survivor. We talk about that, about the unfortunate significance of the fact that he was outed by a gay man, and then what it was like to work with CBS and GLAAD to shape the media coverage. We also talk about what he's doing now, post-Survivor, and what it's been like to suddenly be a publicly out trans person. But before we get to it, don't forget that our old home at AfterBuzz TV is the number one place for all your TV talk needs, so check out their after shows for any and all your favorite TV shows. All right, let's get to the interview. So to our listeners, you are most famous for being outed on Survivor. Yes, yes. Not just being on Survivor, but being outed on Survivor. I know. Um, I want to talk about that, but I promise that we're not going to spend the entire time on it. Sure. I mean, we can talk about it as much as you want. I think that, like the weird thing about the world and in my world is that like that moment sort of like I, I informs my daily life still so oh and how, how so well i you know so i was on back-to-back seasons of survivor so i was on cbs like all year long and you know we had this thing happen that was just so huge and sort of catapulted me above the traditional i think survivor uh, zeitgeist right which is just when was the last time you've ever heard of a survivor player in the news since like Richard Hatch back in the beginning. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I've moved to LA and exploring all these like, you know, great opportunities, but all of them are kind of rooted in being outed, uh, which is just a very like interesting way to, I think, go about the world. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing research to interview you, I was struck by the fact that I like knew nothing else about you. And I was surprised yeah. to learn that you studied improv, that you're Ivy League educated. And it was like, oh, yeah, a good reminder that this there's more to this person than this one outing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that when I applied for Survivor, I, w- I did not initially, like, tell them that I was trans because I wanted them to be interested in, like, I don't know, being, like, the smart, funny guy. That's the character I wanted to play on Survivor. And then there was this other thing, and I was like, okay, and there's this other thing, but I'm like, that's I'm not your like first trans survivor player. That's not, if that's what you want, get someone else. And they're like, no, 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 we're good. Like we're we're invested, we're into it. But again, you don't really know the lives of like the nerdy survivor player if you don't watch Survivor. And then this is the thing that 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 you know shot me up. So it's it's that complicated relationship of being like, you know, this is not the thing I wanted everyone to know about me. It's not what I wanted to be the most interesting part of me. But maybe, like, this is my entry point to get to talk about, I think, the other things which make me a more, you know, complete and dynamic human being. Yeah, of course. I was just so fascinated through that process of when they aired the outing to see how the media covered it. Yeah. Just because a lot of the coverage was around, oh, my God, I cannot believe that this man was outed. And it wasn't, oh, my God, I cannot believe that this man is transgender. Yeah, no, the coverage was excellent. I, I, That's I really impressive. It was so impressive. And... I so I spent a lot of time working with Glad in between like the filming of it and the airing of it. And you know, I I think we were all prepared for like the oh shocker, like it is revealed. You know, that was the headline, but the headline wasn't that. It was like, look at this terrible thing that was done. Uh, you know, sort of outrage towards the wrongdoer in support of me and such vociferous support of me. Um and and everyone at Glad was a little shocked, but I think we all felt like it was this turning point 
in the way in which trans stories were received by the media and I think is also like a testament to the work that GLAD has done in completely like training and reframing the way in which news organizations approach trans stories. And we were just overjoyed. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that that probably stemmed from the beginning, which was that CBS came to you and said, yeah. how do we tell this story, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the shift is in, in many elements, not just in the way that it was reported, because after it, like, so it, it happened and then I continued to play Survivor for like a week and a half. And then I got voted out. And a couple days after I got voted out, like Probst comes to me and is like, so, and we both like, you know, started out with, we wanted to like make this moment the best we can, make it an educational moment to, you know, I think bring like, you know, awareness and acceptance around trans issues and, you know, why you shouldn't out people. And, you know, Jeff was also like, you know, we, we need you. Like, we're, we're going to, you know, I didn't have an, any say in the editing or how the story was crafted, but, you know, I was promised that they're the best storytellers in the reality genre, which are undoubtedly on the Survivor staff, are, you know, we're going to treat the moment with the dignity and respect in which it deserves. But as far as telling my story goes, like, I was put in charge of that project and made the decisions about, you know, what press we, I was going to do and how, how, how much of a, an effort that we wanted to put forth and what the messaging was going to be, what my story entailed, that was all up to me to figure out. And I think the, the, the most important thing that Survivor gave me was belief in myself and my voice. And that all came from the crew saying, we love you, we believe in you, we think and know that you can do this and that you are the guy who should be the face of his community. And so we were going to give you whatever resources you need to enable you to develop yourself into that person who can bear the weight of that responsibility. And I now I get a chance to, to talk at colleges and corporations, and a lot of what I talk about is allyship. And I think allyship that creates like systemic change is, is empowering people to believe in themselves. Because so much of our growing up as queer people is being delegitimized. I think particularly... You know, trans people were, were told that, you know, no, you're not, you're not what you say you are. You're not what you say you are. I and mean, we have to learn to fight and advocate for ourselves. But often what, what the courage and strength that we find individually is not enough to propel us to do bigger and better things. And it really takes someone else believing in you to, like, get you to that next level. And I, I just have the best allies in Survivor and CBS. Sorry, I'm ranting. I just no, have to gush. No, don't at all. Don't apologize. It's just such a unique opportunity for America to get to know a trans person uh, without knowing that they're trans. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then it's, then they're conflicted because they bring a lot of assumptions to the, like the word transgender. And they're like, but we know and like this guy, Zeke. Yeah. And that's sort of what I, I hoped, you know, before I went on survivor, I was like being, particularly being a trans guy on television when there are just like apps, like almost no trans men in the public eye. I, uh, you know, I knew that I had a certain responsibility as to how I was going to present myself. And, you know, I didn't really have like a message. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable talking about being trans, but I thought like, well, you know, in my life, people have to know me for a while before they know that I'm trans. It's not, it was not something that was widely known about me before I was on television. And because I, what I'd found, particularly like, you know, I transitioned 10 years ago, which is like a million years ago in terms of trans progress. And what I'd found was if I told people I was trans first, they were kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of weird. 
or like, I don't want to deal with this, or I don't know what that means. I just, this is, this is too much. But that, and so they would, people wouldn't want to get to know anything else about me. But if they knew me first and had known me for a few months and we'd hung out and they kind of understood what my deal was, and then they knew that I was trans, nothing really about me changed in their eyes, but it did really change their perceptions of trans people. So when I thought about how I would want like America to get to know me on TV, I was like, well, let them get to know me first and then let them get to know that I'm trans. Or maybe they won't ever get to know that I'm trans or it'll just come out like quietly in the survivor media, whatever it is. Um, but I think I could have more of an impact if they just got to like see a trans person doing things other than being trans, that that could have more an impact than being like, I am the standard bearer of trans people in America. That's fascinating. So, so it's been about six months since the show aired. Yes. What has it been like to now just be a publicly out trans person? Uh, I, I, I think I'm still trying to figure out how to shape that narrative myself. Um, because it, I think the cool part about my experience is that most people who know me, like who would stop me on the street know me, watched me on Survivor for a year and got to know me and then figured out, then understood that I was trans. And so they're just like, oh, just Zeke being Zeke, right? So it's cool because it is like in my life, the people who got to know me first and then I was trans later and not much has changed. I think for me, the biggest shift has been trying to like now become a person who is part of the trans community when I really was not really part of the trans community before. We, you know, met on Friday and it was my first time being on a panel with other trans people, like talking about trans topics. And I was so anxious because that's where I feel like the least equipped to, I think, lend my voice, uh, where I'm still trying to figure out my place. Because I think one of the awesome things about like the trans movement is that we center the voices of the most marginalized, which are often trans feminine people of color who are subject to the most violence, who are the most you know, visible, who, who face the most, like, you know, structural barriers. And I think that's awesome. But I'm like an Ivy League educated white guy. And I, I feel like it's important to talk about the stories and experiences of transmasculine people because we are so, so invisible. But we also don't face the challenges that other members of our community do. So finding the, the right way to center the voices of those who need to have their voices most heard, but also give voice to the experiences of trans men is a, is a line that I'm trying to learn how to walk effectively. Yeah, I think about that a lot, how the most visible voices and faces are trans women of color. I, I guess Caitlin kind of skews that now, but you know, but Caitlin aside. Sure. The Janets and Laverne's, you know. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. Is, is that because trans women in society, tell me when this gets offensive. Is that because trans women create a conversation for people, whereas for trans men, we know how to treat men in society, and that is with respect, and it's kind of just like known. I th I think so. I think it more comes from, like, when for most people, if they have an image of transness, it is of trans women, right? The 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 trans woman sex worker or the like, oh God, like the terrible stereotype of like the trans woman serial killer, right? We we have this idea of like, you know, I'm, I'm using quotes, like, you know, men dressing up as women to do. So there is, there was already a visibility of trans women. We needed to counter that image and give it a better face and a more like, I think realistic and, and affirming face. 
but there's never really been like a cultural consciousness of trans masculinity. Oh, so for trans women, we've been fighting to combat um, incorrect narratives or right. unfair narratives. But for trans men, we're just creating a narrative in general. Yes. Oh, that's really fascinating. Um, that's that's my understanding. I also think that uh, so Jack Halberstam, who is uh, a professor, I think now at Columbia, um, wrote this like seminal work called Female Masculinity, which it's very inter- anyway the whole Jack Halberstam story is very interesting. We won't get into it. Um, but what they posit is that uh, the reason why we don't we're not really interested in like trans masculinity or female masculinity is that it's kind of boring. Like that trans masculinity is largely like you know khakis and polo shirts, and that's not very theatrical. Whereas in like the world of trans femininity, you have like drag queens and you know amazingly fabulous trans women, and it creates more of a spectacle. Right, it's more like interesting and entertaining to look at and observe than sort of the mundanity of guys in polo shirts. Oh, I don't know if this is too much like a base reduction of what you said, but so if, for instance, on a red carpet, it's just a guy in a suit. Right, on the red carpet, it's a woman in a gorgeous dress and big hair. She's got diamonds, and where's her bracelet from? So exactly. Oh, that's really really interesting. Uh, last thing about Survivor, sure, because I, I I do not think that it is insignificant that you were outed by a gay man. No. Just based on the history of the treatment of our communities. Yeah. No, I people are like, were you surprised it was a gay guy or were you more offended it was a gay guy? And I said, no, I am not surprised at all it was a gay guy. Um, I, I feel like 90% of the like negative interactions I have had in my life because I was trans were from gay and lesbian members of the community. And I think that... For most, like for straight and cis people, we're all just one like, you know, rainbow flag blob. And they don't quite know the distinctions between all the identities or that they're supposed to treat some people different than others. They're like, either I'm an ally and I'm on board and I'm not going to ask too many questions. I'm just going to be as supportive as I can. But within the community, we see divisions and hierarchies within ourselves. And I think often gay and lesbian people's insecurities come out when dealing with trans people because we challenge their place in the world or I think challenge their understanding of themselves as normal and hostilities are taken out upon us or we're kind of told like know your place you're not the same you're different like you know you you are the ugly side of this movement and uh yeah yeah it which is tough for me because I am also a gay guy (laughs) so my dating pool is often uh so it has to be tread very carefully yeah but previous to Survivor, when you were being more selective with who you shared sure. your transness for, when in terms of like the dating process did you disclose? Well, I always try to be pretty upfront and quick in the dating process. Uh, just because like initially when I left college, I had that I was trans on all my stuff. And then as I like grew a friend group in New York, particularly like a gay friend group in New York, I took that off because you would so often run into people you knew on dating apps, right? So I was like, oh gosh. And once I took it off, the what like, you know, someone would message me and one of the first things I would say was like, oh, I'm trans. And typically the response would be, oh, that's great. Like supporter, not really that interested anymore. So I I was I would always try to like give it up as as quickly as possible just so there was all the information on the table but what it often meant was I didn't date very much because negotiating disclosure just became such 
like, I don't know, more effort than it was worth. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, when I decided to go on Survivor, first season, thinking I was going to get voted voted out third, for me, it marked the end of what I, you know, I think we would call this like low disclosure period, right? Because I, I knew that like going on television, it would come out in, in whatever capacity. And, and then I was fine with that. I was ready for that to happen. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to put that I'm trans on all my like dating profiles. And then we're just going to go from there. And it's not going to be weird. It's just going to, anyone I know who contacts me is going to know, and I won't have to deal with this. Um, but then I came home and we knew that like this was happening. So I had to like hold off <laughs> having it on all my public profiles for another like year until everything was, was completed. So is there a freedom there now and that like everyone knows? Um, sort of, I guess I don't really think of it as a freedom because I knew that it was like, it was just like the next evolution. Um, oh, you were heading that way anyways. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That was going to happen anyway. Uh, it actually survivor delayed it. If anything, Oh, well, tell, well, tell me this. Do, do you feel like your gayness gets ignored just because the conversation's only about being trans? Uh, yes, but I also think it gets ignored because I'm not, I don't read super gay either. I don't know. You have very high hair. I have very big hair. <laughs> I think I have like a super gay mustache. I wear these like weird goofy shirts, but I think, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's so unique in terms of fame or notoriety, knowing, being able to have a date on the calendar when you know the exact date of when you will be famous in the future. Yeah, the day your life's going to change. Yeah, what, was, what were you thinking the night before? Um, the night before, I, oh, well, so I'd been working with Glad and CBS and Survivor for uh, like nine months almost, and throughout this entire time, everyone was always on the same page. Like I would, you know, I would have to do a whole bunch of trans homework for glad. And then I would think about what I wanted to say and I would pitch to everybody and they're like, that sounds good. And, you know, survivor and CBS always had, right. They always had the footage. They always knew what happened. If you watch that tribal, you'll notice I'm checked out for quite a bit of it. I also didn't have like the view of watching from like the audience's seat. I could just watch from my seat. So I didn't remember a lot of what had happened. Uh, I like didn't remember that this um, accusation of deception kept being thrown around, which is just it's just a really like highly toxic stereotype about trans people that we are deceptive and is often used as the justification for violence um, and, and murder of trans people. And I didn't remember that that was there and it was just such a big component. So I was brought to LA to watch the episode early and I watched it with Nick Adams at Glad, who's like my, my Glad guy. And after watching it, it was just so worse, I think, much worse than what Glad was anticipating. Um, and I had prepared all my messaging and in my written portion to have a component of forgiveness and talking about reconciliation. And it, it was a little softer on the like anger. And Glad encouraged me to drop the forgiveness and reconciliation and up the anger. And Survivor and CBS said, no, I don't think you're giving the audience enough credit and that you that leading with kindness and reconciliation and not leading with anger will like be better. Like that's like the way that we think you should move forward. And so the night before, I knew I was going to be on the talk. I had to turn in my article to the Hollywood Reporter. So I had to make this decision about which way to go. 
to lead with anger or to lead with kindness. And it was the first time I really felt the weight of everything was on my shoulders that I wasn't just leading in quotes, like I was actually leading and what I said and what I wrote would be the face of what happened. And so I was dealing with that pressure and trying to make that decision. And, and what did you decide? Kindness with a hint of anger. Okay. So I, it was important to, I think, discuss the toxicity of the accusations of deception, but I ultimately left in the, 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 the statements on, on forgiveness and, you know, tried to lead, I think, with more of a positive face than an angry one. And, and do, are you interested in, I don't, I don't want to say forgiveness, but like in having a relationship with the guy who added you? Not really. Because you don't have to. Uh, no, and I don't, I tried. Like in the nine months between everything, I, I did make an effort. And I think what, I think what will always really separate us is the reaction. Because for me, it was so overwhelmingly positive. I got so much love and so much support, but he got the opposite. He got so much hatred he was fired from his job. He, you know, when you Google his name, this will always come up. And I think it, it's, whereas it's been such a positive, you know, boost for me, it's an exact opposite experience for him. And I think it's that experience of the public reaction, which I don't know that we'll ever be able to make sense of between the two of us. Wow. I think that so much of the public positive response probably also stemmed from the fact that this was something that was done to you. Well, I, I, that, but I, honestly, my, my interpretation is it's less about me and it's less about him. And it's more about the people around us that they, that I think most people in the audience didn't exactly know how to react that if left to their own, the divide, like everyone around me immediately rises to my defense. They make it abundantly clear that what happened was wrong, that the accusations of deception are incorrect and dangerous. Like I am so supported and loved and the, the other guy tries to backtrack and make excuses and people and they have my tribes have none of it. Jeff Probst is none of it. Jeff Probst never like actively gets involved or like is judgmental about what's happening. He was like, no, this is terrible. Like he is arguing with with the guy who outed me. And you know, that I had all of that support and love that like the ethical decision making is done for everyone. I think A, allowed me to get through it, but B, also taught the audience how to respond because there is just no doubt as to what happened was, was not something that you should do. And I think what really drives the, the, the message home is my tribe mates defend me. I kind of have a moment where I'm like, you know, I think I'm okay. Like, this is not the end of the world. Like, I've grown so much on Survivor. Like, I have the strength to keep going on. And then there's sort of a lull of like, well... Did this guy just make a mistake? Is he not a bad guy? And then my big ally, Sarah, who is a, you know, conservative cop from Iowa. She's a Christian. She doesn't, like, know any gay people. She's like, no. Like, this wasn't, we can't just write this off. This was a malicious attack. That's not how you treat people. And, you know, I know that I am changed because I got to know Zeke and my understanding of trans people has changed. And I, I think that really, like, seals the deal of, like, this, this is how you should consider what happened. And the audience re responded accordingly. One of my favorite responses to your outing was written by Jennifer Finney Boylan. Yes. In the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And she, I've never heard it quite so clear before. She said that transness, that it's not a secret, it's simply private. Yes. And there is a difference. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, 
I just think a person's like gender history, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a complicated experience. It's about, you know, your body and how you feel about your body and your medical history and your, you know, legal history. It's just information you get to share when you want to share it, right? Uh, yeah, there is no, I think particularly when we're talking about trans people in the public eye, like I don't personally think the price of admission to public life should be spilling all the intimate details of your life. I, I wonder if um, you don't have that choice, though. You know, well, I today. didn't have that choice. Oh, I, I meant the collective people oh, right. entering into the public eye. I wonder if just the collective population, when they do enter that, if they're, they're able to choose. Uh, like anyone? Yeah. I, I think there's stuff you choose and stuff you don't choose. Uh, and I, I think there's also, there's the way things should be and the way things are. Right. And I think like I was always like I always knew that like my being trans would become public knowledge, but I didn't feel like because that was true, I had to lead with it. Gotcha. So now you live in LA. I live in LA. New. Yes. You're working to make a name for yourself beyond the guy who was outed. On yeah, someday, someday I'll be known for something else. <laughs> so tell us, what are you what are you doing? Sure. Um, well, I do a couple of things. I, I hope that didn't sound rude. Like, what are you doing? What am I doing? What are you even doing? Well, I, you know, I think I'm in this personality business like everyone else is. So I've, you know, I think the, 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 the I'm, I'm writing a book because who isn't <laughs> um, uh, about things largely other than being trans. Um, I um, am currently doing a lot of speaking at colleges and companies, uh, talking about allyship, because I, as we you know, started the podcast, I have, I have the best allies who have supported me in the best ways. And I think it really can be a model for not only how to support other LGBTQ people, but to be an ally to any marginalized party. So I, I get a chance to talk about that. I love that. So, so tell me this then. You at Harvard, you studied religion. I did study religion. What, what did you expect to be doing with that? Oh God, I don't know that I had any expectation that I would do anything. Well, that's not sort of true. I had ideations about becoming an Episcopal priest. So I, I grew up in Oklahoma City to a family that was not religious. But Oklahoma City is the buckle of the Bible Belt, and I grew up down the block from the I think the seventh largest megachurch in the world, Life Church, and just. Everyone was this evangelical Christian, and I was from a very young age, all sorts of type of queer, trying to figure out exactly what my spice of different was, and felt, you know, the full brunt of the Bible verses being hurled at you, or people being, I think, under the control and manipulation of their church. And when I got to college, I initially wanted to study history, but the history department leaned a little more conservative, and at the beginning of my junior year is when I transitioned, and there were trans people at the divinity school, which is where I took all of my classes. So like my mentor was a trans Episcopal priest who was a professor. There were other like trans graduate students at the divinity school. So it religion, it dovetailed with my interest in history, but it more was like a safe space where I felt like I could be like understood and visible and supported as a trans student. Harvard had that many out trans people in the religious department, in the divinity school. Um, if by that many you mean three, which okay. is a big number. Well, well, compared to my university, which had zero. Sure. Yeah, that's like massive. But you also went to a small college in the that, South. That's exactly true. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I guess just looking up, I, I'm obsessed with like mentors mm -hmm. and the fact that we, I would always wanted one, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I, I don't know that, the, that these uh, people were your mentors, but just to have 
like people out there in the world living and being trans. It's a great example, I imagine. It was important. And I think that that is, that, that, that this is something I, I think about a lot of the importance of seeing other people like you moving about in the world. Because I, you know, when I transitioned, I had these like handful of trans people I saw in the world and they were all professionally trans in some way. Right, they were either they worked in healthcare helping trans people, they were they worked in nonprofits advocating for trans people, or they largely were in academia studying and writing about trans people. And for me, the only path I saw was like you have to be trans publicly and professionally all of the time. And transitioning for me was super tumultuous. Like I got horrendously depressed, and it was a lot to kind of like pull myself out of the the depression surrounding transition, and all of like so when i i graduated school and i got a job i moved to new york and i got a job and no one knew i was trans not because i was like intentionally trying to keep that private it just no one knew and i was like oh my god the world is so much easier to navigate when people don't know that you're trans right away and i just kind of i think shuffled along with blinders on for a little bit because i didn't there are very few there's like no guidance about how to be trans. There's a lot of guidance about like hormones and legal changes and all of that like nitty gritty specific stuff of being trans, but how to like go about in the world as a trans adult post-transition, there's not really a lot of like people that you can look to. And there weren't people that I saw that were really going after their dreams or at least dreams that were similar to my dreams. So I sort of shuffled along with blinders on just trying not to rock the boat or you know, make any splashes, kind of like not believing that I had a place in the world, that the world was off limits to me because I was trans until I got to this place a few years ago where I, I was just like, dude, like you're going to be 30 and you're nowhere near where you want to be in life. And you have all of these big dreams, but you don't go after them because you hold yourself back. And if you didn't hold yourself back, if you weren't led by fear, but instead were led by your dreams, what would you do? And it was go on survivor. And I just sort of made the decision to start like instead of looking to other people for permission to give myself permission and to think of who do I want to be? What are my dreams? What are my values? Who's that ideal version of myself? And so I just created the image of the ideal version of myself. I'm not him. I fail to be him every day, but I set him as my North Star and I allowed him to lead me, to be motivated by the idea that I could be that ideal version of myself, to be my own role model. It's kind of amazing that in this story, you identified Survivor as that thing, and then you actually got to go on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, Survivor, my connection to Survivor runs really deep. So I took time off school because I was dealing with depression, and I was like, you know, one getting out of bed, eating whole pizzas, drinking entire bottles of Jack Daniels, just like watching Netflix, because I didn't really have a vision of the future. And as a kid, I was just like kick-ass little dreamer who like went after whatever. But now I was like, well, I can't because I'm trans. And the show that I most latched onto when I was sitting in bed, just doing nothing was Survivor. And I think it was this idea that there were all these people who were knowingly venturing into the unknown, taking on their life's hardest journey, but on Survivor, you always come out better on the other side. And I think like that's what I really connected to. And I watched 20 seasons, one right after the other. And then I got out of bed. Because I like had, I think, a new dream. And it was I wanted to be on Survivor. And of course I told myself, you know, you can't do it because like, you know, 10 years ago, trans people didn't go on reality television and not just be the butt of the joke, right? Laughed and gawked at. 
So I just tucked it away and I was like, well, you know, because you're trans, you're not going to get to do it. But I actually, I applied to work on the show multiple times. Like I played fake versions of Survivor. And until I just got to this place where like this dream was just burning so fiercely inside of me, I had to go do it. And then it changed my life. So outing aside, what did you learn about yourself doing the show? I learned that I need to believe in myself. That my biggest obstacle is the way in which I hold myself back. That if I am passionate about something and I decide that I want to do it, I you know need to commit myself to preparation. And I worked really hard to be super prepared to go out on Survivor. And then I just trusted my instincts, right? I trusted that if I didn't worry about what other people were thinking about me, but just tried to bring my best self to the table and tried every day to be my best self and even be a little bit better version of my best self each day, that that would lead me where I wanted to go. I, um, Jeff Probst is someone who, who means a whole hell of a lot to me. And he, one thing he constantly tells me is that I have to relinquish the idea that other people are keeping score because I think we think everyone is thinking about us all the time and they have all these perceptions and ideas and judgments about us, but really we don't. Like I don't have perceptions and judgments about everyone. I'm mostly just thinking about myself and so is everyone else. So we have to give up the idea that people are keeping score and that we're down one and we need to get one back and instead just go do, go seek the adventures that we, you know, want to comprise that, that we want to, you know, illustrate our lives. That is such good advice. It's the best advice. Are you uh, still in contact with him? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you have his number in your phone? Uh, I, I might. Okay. I'm just curious. Um, that's awesome. You, you mentioned depression a couple of mm-hmm. times. Is that something you still struggle with? Uh, yes. I, I feel like so much of my life is because like I associate depression with my like greatest time of failure when I like was struggling in school, almost failed out of school. It was a time of isolation. Like I pushed all of my friends away. I was in a really terrible relationship and I, uh, so for me, I think most time, most of the, most days I just wake up and I'm like, I know if I can get out of bed and like go get a cup of coffee, I'm not depressed. I know if I can sit down on my computer and answer my emails, I'm not depressed. Like the fear of being depressed again is something I constantly like live and struggle with. And, and this was um, started around your transition. Is that right? Uh, well, no, I had a, I, I had a history of depression in high school. Like I was on medication and I saw a therapist, but it was never depression that interfered with my life. I was just kind of sad and lonely and knew something was like, wrong with me and I couldn't put my finger on why the rest of the world why the rest why this life seems so much easier for the rest of the world and it didn't make sense to me and I think that when I got to college I stopped seeing a therapist and went off medication because again it had never been really severe it had just been sort of this like melancholy and I think with all of like the pressures of school on top of finally putting a name to this discomfort which had plagued me my entire life and not having the support of mental health care resources, which are just terrible at Harvard. I think maybe they're a little bit better, but at most universities, mental health care support is just really atrocious and overrun, and I felt unsupported. There was, I didn't have the mental health care safety net. And then the, you know, transitioning 10 years ago is not like transitioning now, because back then, like all of the queer and feminist spaces, which now I think really would rally around a trans person, 
there was still this question of like, do we like trans people? Because it seems like trans people are just reinforcing binaries and like, shouldn't we all seek to just explode notions of gender or aren't you like a traitor to women? Like they're the people, like the liberal lefty people who were supposed to be on board were kind of hostile to what I was doing at the time. So I just had, I had no support and was really floundering and, uh, yeah, no, rough time, rough time in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I asked because I think that when we talk about coming out, it can be misleading because for the LGB people, you come out and it's the work is done. Right. That's it. And then a trans person comes out and then that's when all the work kind of starts. Yeah. Um, I would say that's accurate. It's also, it's kind of a... The coming out experiences like with sexual orientation and, and I think gender are very different because I didn't come out as trans. I came out as Zeke, the dude. Trans happens to explain that experience, but is not, and this is different for everybody. Trans for me isn't necessarily an identity. It's an experience. I don't know because like I don't, I'm not someone who would say like I'm a, I'm a trans man. I'd say I'm a man. Yeah. And that's that, that that's unique to me and is different for everyone. So so uh, it's kind of to, to, to put words in your mouth. Sure, please. <laughs> is that great? Um to put words in your mouth, I it feels sounds like you are trying to figure out who you are as a person and this label also applies. Yeah, well in the sense that like cisgender applies to people who are cisgender, right? It yeah. speaks to the experience by which you came about understanding your gender. That is also fascinating to me that you were um, figuring out your gender in college while also studying religion. And like, because in life, those usually don't co like coincide. In the, like, in our big picture, they don't coincide. But like I said, like, my mentor was an Episcopal priest. And he was one of two trans Episcopal priests that I, I knew at the time. And I think that there is such a vibrant LGBT faith and spiritual community. Uh, there, there are a lot of very religious, very committed LGBT people um, in the church, in particular the Episcopal Church, though UCC, and there are many like, you know, gay churches, uh, you know, across the country. And for me, I, the place that I found like home and support during my darkest times were the Episcopal Church. It's why I considered becoming a priest. Um, it's where I felt like, you know, my soul and my spirit were, were nurtured and affirmed. And there are queer and trans readings of a lot of portions of the Bible. And I think if you think of the, you know, the theatrics and the, the trappings of a high church ceremonial service, it feels a lot, it feels, I mean, it feels like a queer space. So yes, like on the, on the, I think in the dominant narrative, you know, Christianity and LGBTQ people are supposed to be on polar opposite sides of the spectrum, but really there are so many intersections and so many faith communities which play an integral life or integral part in the lives of, of queer people. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is probably that the Republicans have claimed Christianity. Yeah, and we on the right have claimed LGBTQ people, and like they can't be the same thing. How dare you? Yeah, That's, yeah. Wow. Uh, this has been so much fun. It's been great. Do you feel like we talked about non-survivor stuff enough? Sure. <laughs> if people want to find out more about you, should we send them to your social media? Yes. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Zekerchief, which is Zeke, Z-E-K-E-R-Chief, C-H-I-E-F. -E
All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a comment, tell your friends, tweet about us, write articles, help us to spread the word. If you want to recommend a guest, tweeting at me is the easiest way. I tweet from at JeffMasters1. The show tweets from at LGBTQPod. You can also join our newsletter. If you want to stay up to date on all of our new episodes and live shows, you can do that at lgbtqpodcast.com. Special thanks to the Elon University studio in Los Angeles, our old home where we co-launched at AfterBuzz TV, and everyone who's in listening and tweeting and commenting. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Bye.